Welcome to Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. Uh, I have a cold, so I'm a bit sniffly and, and everything, so please forgive me. And special guest, Katie McCarthy. I don't remember the last time I was actually on this. <laughs> it's been a minute. Uh, yeah. Maybe the last time you were here was the last time we talked about The World Ends with you, which uh, was about a year I ago. Was thinking. I feel like yeah, that's what I'm thinking. One more time, but that's like the last time I remember being on this. Katie, you're here because you recently checked out The World Ends With You on Switch, so we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to be talking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which you've also been playing, and that will be with our reviews editor, Mike Williams. We're going to be doing our full review on that one with no spoilers. And uh, as usual, before we get started, if you want to have any comment or feedback, follow us on all of the social medias. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia is currently suspended from Twitter. <laughs> free Nadia, hashtag. No, I, I was freed. I am free. I am a free woman. Yeah, I was like, Nadia is freed last night. She's back. She is returned. What? You're back? She returned. I have returned. It was very I've returned to shitpost in all my glory. You did it. Yeah, I did it Hooray. already. I sat there on my ass <laughs> for seven days and waited for something to happen. That, that's all I yeah, did. Did you hear anything about what? Did they just like look like one day you were able to log in? Or was it like you were, they were like, congrats, you're done. You're uh, basically, they gave over. me an email. They gave me an email saying, oh, yeah, it looks like you didn't violate our rules. Okay, sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> that's literally it. You're out of you're out of Twitter jail. <laughs> you're oh get out, here's your, thank you for your get out of jail free card. Welcome back to our hell. <laughs> Welcome back to hell. Yeah. We kept a spot for you. That's like, I'm jealous you're able to like take a break from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to be suspended from Twitter yeah, next. Same. No, you don't. But I'm at the <laughs> underscore catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Katie is at you make Katie. That's spelled Y-U-M-E-C-A-T-Y. And of course, follow us on US Gamer at US Gamernet and on Facebook and Twitch and all of that good stuff. Lots of good stuff there. But okay, so getting back to the world ends with you. Katie, did you play the original in 2007? Yes, or I didn't play it in 2007 because I was late to the DS in general. Or I, I didn't get a DS till a 3DS, so like technically didn't get a DS. So I played it like when I got my 3DS because all my friends at the time were like really into The World Ends With You. And it, like, I, I'm really into like Kingdom Hearts, or I was into it, I guess. So I was like really Aww. into Tetsuya Nomura, so it was like right up my alley. Um, so I probably didn't play it till like whatever year the 3DS launched, I guess. I can't remember what year that was. Is it 2006? The ja- that Japanese punk vibe is very you. It totally is. Yeah. It, it's it's just, like, very... It's a very trendy game. Like, I'm really into, like, Jet Set Radio and stuff like that. So, it it just, like, fit... It fits, like, all, like, my check marks, I guess, internally. Like, I'm like, oh, cool soundtrack. All right, I'm good. Like, cool, weird, unique character designs. Like, I'm all in. Doesn't uh, Neku wear his hoodie backwards? He just has, like, a very tall hood. It's like yeah, it and it's bunched up, in his like, front. God, was it was it Bape hoodies that had like the zipper that goes all the way up the hood? It's like this. I could not even begin to tell you. <laughs> I have two pairs of jeans. <laughs> so my secret like, favorite thing about yeah. oh, my secret gonna... favorite thing about the world ends with you has always been that if you get Neku's courage up high enough, you can just buy all of the ladies' fashion and have him yeah. wear that. I, I I forgot about that until I was playing the Switch version. And I was like, it was like, oh, your bravery's not high enough. And I was like, oh, I forgot about this part. It's so cute. Oh, I bet it looks so nice. Cross dressing. That's cool. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned before that The World Ends With You came out while I was living in Japan. So I, I walked through Shibuya every day on the way to work. So Shibuya was kind of my kind of my hood. It was my town. So playing it and being involved in that world was really great for me because I, having grown up in Minnesota, I never really had a game that was like, here's an open world game set in my hometown uh, for obvious reasons. And so I never <laughs> had that effect of playing, say, GTA 4 or Watch Dogs 2 and, or Fallout 4 and seeing New York or Boston or San Francisco or even the Seattle. The only time. Yeah, the only time I really had that at all, I think, was... Uh, I'm sure someone will correct me with another one, but Scott Pilgrim was the only time I played a game in Toronto. <laughs> That's too bad, because Toronto's a cool city. Yeah, I think so, but uh, tell game developers that. <laughs> one day I'm going to get my GTA Minneapolis and I'm going to feed somebody into a wood chipper. It'll be great. <laughs> I was going to say, no, you're not. But then I realized, wait, you can feed someone into a wood chipper. That'd be a great idea. So I, I recognized everything in Shibuya immediately, and I really enjoyed just running through it and everything. The other thing that was revelatory about it for me, and as I said, we covered it in the retrospective from last year, but the the soundtrack, the soundtrack was yes. outstanding. And... It, it was especially impressive that they managed to get it onto a cartridge for the Nintendo DS, that it was so extensive, and yeah. that it changed up as you got further into the game. It, it was really great in that regard. Yeah, you're right. That was That's a good point. Uh, I never thought about that. How, how much work it must have taken to get that soundtrack. First of all, it didn't sound like compressed at all, like you usually get with a, with a game like that. Uh, they had to fit on the, on the DS. So that was a, it was just a really good piece of work all around by Square Enix. I'm also optimistic by nature, and I liked The World Ends With You's main thrust of kind of getting Neku to come out of his shell and stop being a dick. Uh, his, <laughs> his, arc, his arc works a lot better than Squall's, I think, because yeah. Neku is just the worst for the first like few hours of the game. He's just absolutely He's like terrible. So yeah. yeah, terrible to ski, uh, oh, like yeah. basically going, I don't care if you die. But by the end of the first week, I mean, he's really kind of stopped being a jerk. Uh, he's really come out of his shell. And then the story, uh, one of the things I've always found the most interesting about The World Ends With You is the first week is its own complete arc. And mm-hmm. by the end, you're you're used to ski, you're ready to fight the big battle, and then it kind of hits the reset button and you're put together with a new character and you're going... And you are just as disoriented as Neku because you're trying to get used to using this new character, mm-hmm. and it, uh, it it takes some doing. And that's actually one aspect that gets lost in the iPad and the Switch version, I think. Yeah, it's because like obviously the dual screen, you're using like face buttons and touch screen, and there's like this. You have to. It's a really like it's hard to get the handle of, but once you do, it's like really satisfying. And I feel like with this version it's basically just like another pin it's like another ability that you can use and it kind mm-hmm. of it, it really loses like the like not just like the narrative element of like oh it's like dual screens dual people but it's like oh they're just two it's like a, almost like a party system now whereas like, i don't think the ds version really feels like a party system right but it's 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 really strange uh so yeah the switch version like changes it's pretty much the iOS version, so or iOS and Android, uh, where if it's portable, you can play a touchscreen, and that's how I've been playing it mostly because it's probably the preferred way. 
Uh, or you could play a Joy-Cons uh, on the TV, but it's like you only play with one Joy-Con and you use the motion controls to like put a reticle on the screen, so it's kind of like a little cursor. Uh, but the problem is in battle, it gets like super crate, like it just like starts jittering and sometimes it'll get stuck on the like side of the screen and you have to like, <laughs> you're constantly having to reset it. And luckily it's super easy uh, to reset it to the middle, but it's so annoying. Still. It's like... Like I've I've died like I I don't think it's like a particularly hard game but I feel like I died because the reticle just goes crazy and I just get frustrated I'm like this just sucks like this is not not a great so, situation. Just a quick question if I if I'm playing in handheld mode I have to use uh I have to use touch screen or nothing. Yeah, touch screen. There's no you can't use like the Joy Cons connect to the side of it. Oh, that's that's it's really kind of screen. that's a downer. I mean I have a, a stylus for uh that's good for Switch but that's not the point. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I guess I might. I don't even. Know, I don't have a stylus that works with my switch, so it might work with the stylus. But yeah, it, it's just touchscreen or motion Joy-Con, and that, like the good thing about the Joy-Cons is like you could bring in another player. Like now, there's, now there's co-op to control the other character, and I feel mm-hmm. like that only particularly works well in boss battles because how they change boss battles from the DS version is the DS version is like the other character will be at, like, a different part of the boss. Like, they're, like, doing different things. So it's kind of, like, this, like interesting, like, tag team element almost. Uh, whereas with the iOS and Switch version, it's, like, one character will just jump up to, like, this new area for the boss, and then they're doing a different thing. But the cool thing about co-op is, like, since they're, like, different characters, like, oh, like, now your co-op partner's doing this other thing while you're, like, mm-hmm. winning, I guess. And that feels kind of cool, but... In like the actual battles you run around and like like the the noise you face like mostly it's just it just makes the battles really easy because now you have another player instead of using like an extra ability. Yeah, so I don't. But you can set it to be really hard. Yeah, but I don't know. If, if you if you fun. set it at the absolute <laughs> highest difficulty level, uh, I could totally see why where co op would be really useful. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. And the other player, I, as far as I like, from what I noticed, is invulnerable. Like they're, they can't be hurt. It's like only Neku that can be hurt. Like so tails. Like, yeah, and they have like a set thing of abilities. So that's kind of a bummer. You can't like the co- the other player can't really cut. They can't customize their pins or anything. They're just kind of like stuck as that character, and they only can run around in battles. Like they can't run around in the main hub world or uh. anything. So it's it's definitely like a weird drop in co op. Um, I, I I feel like it's a cool idea, and I don't know, like the world ends with you has kind of always been like a weirdly controlled game. So of course it would have a weird control scheme for Switch. Yeah. But I just don't think it quite works that mu- that well. I like I feel like I'm, I'm honestly yeah. kind of tr- curious to try it now on my TV with my partner playing co op because yeah, that would be a that would be a different way to enjoy the world ends with you. And since we both were in Japan together, like I could see that as being a fun nostalgia trip. <laughs> yeah. It's, I feel like that's like probably the, the thing that I would maybe recommend if people are interested in rechecking it out or haven't, if you, I feel like if you haven't played world, world ends with you before, like that's the switch version. Well, this like is literally the first time that it's been available on TV. It's always yeah. been available on handheld in every iteration even its mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts appearance was on handheld. <laughs> I mean, that was remastered for consoles, so I mean, technically, you can play that on your TV now. But 
yeah, it's 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 definitely like and the art looks really good. Like it's like really crisp. Um, so and you can switch between the DS music, which is cool. And I've been playing with the DS music on because I just I don't know. It's like, kind of like nostalgia, you know. It's like oh, it's nice to hear like this like crunchy sound again. Uh, but the <laughs> remix soundtrack's really good too. Um, but yeah, like I kind of had this idea of like it, you know like the the flip is it called the flip grip that Jeremy helped design the like vertical switch yes. handle. Like I was thinking it'd be cool if grip. they did like yeah yeah if they like patched in like a vertical function that split the screen in half and maybe like each Joy-Con side on the flip grip would like control a different character. I was like that would be cool, yeah. but I don't know. If That's actually a really good idea, practical. especially since. Uh... The uh, Wii U, its tablet, had the option to do that with uh, DS games that came out on the Virtual Console. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, whoa. That, yeah, like, I was like, because I was like thinking, like, what would be the other cool, what would be a cool, weird control scheme for this? And I was like, oh, that would be cool, but I feel like that's a lot to patch in. <laughs> but I also yeah, imagine that people are going to be complaining probably a lot about at the the fact there's like two control schemes and one's basically just like the iOS version. It's like that's not gonna fly well with a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I guess I think that the, could be sorry, Kat, didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was gonna say I think the main reason to play through the Switch version is if you haven't already played it and you don't have easy access to the iOS version and you want to enjoy this really it's still a really unique RPG kind of experience. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not something that we've really seen a ton of out of uh, Nomura and Square Enix. And I, I would argue that perhaps the battle system is actually one of the weaker parts of the game anyway, yeah. and it always has been. Uh, I remember like I basically scratched a, I, I scratched my screen up so badly playing that game on the oh, Nintendo no. DS. Furrows everywhere. It, it was, well, I mean, because I, scra- I was scratching so hard like yeah. um, boss battles especially mm-hmm. some of the really hard boss battles because you have to kind of draw shapes right to right. make the pins work and it's kind of the similar uh with the other versions and so invariably it's like repetitive actions over and over and over again and so there there's some strategy to the way that you implement your your pins and attach them and to the clothes that you select for your character and how you manage trends and everything. But when it comes to the actual battles, I mean, it's just scratch, 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 scratch. So. You just put your cat but, up against your uh, DS screen and let him go at it. If you've already played The World's End with you, I, I think the two main reasons to pick this up, maybe co-op, and then also because there's content at the end of the game. Right. So, the requirements to unlock it are really hard so i don't think i'll ever see it <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not close to the end but like i was reading up on it and i was like yeah i don't think i'm gonna i don't think i have it in me to unlock this like epilogue and i don't even know how long it is like i'm wondering if it's like is it like a full week i don't think it's gonna be like that extensive like i feel like it's probably gonna be like a one or two hour thing so i don't really know if the epilogue will be worth it. Like, kind of like Persona 3 Fez. Like, Persona 3 Fez has the answer epilogue, which is, like, 20 hours, so it's, like, definitely, like, way more expansive. But it's, like, not... It doesn't have, like, the cool things you like Persona 3 for. Like, it's mostly just, like, non-choice-based dialogue and, like, like fighting and dungeon crawling. So it's not, like, the cool social aspects. It's more just, like, tying up, like, the end, which I don't think really needed it. Like, I, I don't 
hate the answer because like it's still like I still think the story in it is good, but it's not necessary to your enjoyment of Persona Three. So I'm curious about the world ends with you's epilogue, but I also have not seen it yet, so it could be like it could be like teasing a sequel or something crazy, which I, I wouldn't be surprised. I used that. to want a sequel. I don't want a sequel anymore. Yeah, I don't like after playing this. I'm like, I don't. How would it control? Like, I feel like. I almost would have preferred, like, a 3DS remake or something. Like, something that still has that stylus-enabled dual touchscreen. Maybe, like, refining that battle system more, because it is super clunky on DS. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's also so key to that game. I I agree. Uh, but I, at the same time, maybe not. In the sense that I think what is actually extremely key to The World Ends With You <laughs> is the unique structure yeah. In the way that it tells the story, the unique modern day setting, uh, that wonderful soundtrack. Uh, if you capture all of that, I think you can you can mess around with the way the battle system works and honestly make it a lot better. Yeah, like I'd, I'd like to see a like reimagined version that kind of has like the same idea almost as the DS version. I, I just feel like the this like redesigned battle system like isn't it's just kind of boring like it's just not it's not as it's not as like interest like at least the ds one was like interesting i was like wow this is like a really unique idea i've never seen before whereas this one's just like tapping on enemies and swiping at enemies and like it's it's like the, i like the pin system a lot like how you're like getting new you're like how like creating your own arsenal of like magic and like telekinesis and like physical like stuff and you're kind of like building up like okay like it's kind of like a card game, basically. You're, like, building up your own deck. Like, okay, this is, like, what I'm going to bring into this battle, or I'll bring in this, like, side deck I have. And I like that aspect of it a lot, because it's, like, you only have, like, five abilities when you have all of them unlocked. So it's, like, not that much at the end of the day. And I'd like to see that system maybe pushed a little farther if they did a sequel or something. And, like, playing with the fact that, like, the partner system, like, in a more interesting way. Uh, like something that like is is as interesting as its structure, I guess. Uh, the thing that's always kind of given me pause about the idea of a sequel is the original "The World Ends with You" ties up extremely nicely. It it ends Neku's story. Yeah, and it would have to be new characters. I feel like mm-hmm. that would be the ideal sequel is like new characters and like I don't really know, but I don't. Yeah, I'm not, like, dying for a sequel, maybe, as I was back when I first played it. It's more like... Like, there's a lot of mystery going on at the end of The World Ends With You. Like, you're kind of going, what is actually the deal with Joshua? What actually is the world with... uh, The deal with this kind of afterlife world? Spoiler alert, you're dead. (laughs) You learned that that really... You learned that really early. Yeah, they took Um, that away. And you do get some answers. You get quite a few answers, actually, if you do the the, the end game content in the original world sense with you, because there are these papers that you can collect. But I don't really like based on what happened with Kingdom Hearts, where it started to overexplain everything and everything <laughs> got too insane. It never stopped. I'm kind of happy. I, I'm kind of okay with not knowing all that much about the backstory. Yeah, I'm worried this epilogue is going to do like, so Kingdom Hearts 2, I feel like the problems that game has, it has a really good ending, like core, like key, like pre-credits ending where it's like, 
oh, like, everyone's, like, reunited. They're back on Destiny Island. Everything seems chill and happy and, like, a little sad because they went on this big journey. But they're all, like, you know, they're all together. Like, Mickey, Riku, Donald, Goofy, Sora, and Kairi. And then there's, like, a post credit scene which just sets up, like, whatever happens after <laughs> March 2, which is, like, where we're at now. And it's, like, man, that ending was so good. And then they just had to keep going. Like, I feel like it was, like, such a satisfying ending. Like, it was, like, everything seemed chill. And then they, it just... Now now we're getting King Lords 3. Yes. Square <laughs> Enix like tend to Thor. like to do that. It's like the end of Thor Ragnarok. And if you care about the spoiler to this now year-old movie, um, you might want to skip ahead a couple minutes. But at the end of Thor Ragnarok, everybody is gathered up and uh, Thor has taken on his like rightful role as the new king and all that. And you're like, mm-hmm. great, this is awesome. Yeah, it's, like, it's like a happy ending. <laughs> and then happy. the the post credits scene is a giant spaceship coming down, casting a shadow over them, and oh, now they're all dead. <laughs> and they yeah. sure were. It was such sure. a bummer what they did in Infinity War. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I, agree. I, I was not in. I, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Infinity War in general, but, yeah, it's just, like, I just hate, like, why can't a movie just have a good ending or something? Like, I don't know, it was just, like, why do you have to, like, keep tying into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Like, why does it keep having to, like, go in that direction? Like, I just find it really nauseating. Just imagine, <laughs> the world ends with you, too. Oh, here comes Organization 13. Oh, uh, just... <laughs> kill me now I'll jump out the balcony oh. myself don't bother turns out neku turns out neku's appearance in kingdom hearts for the 3ds is was actually canon how did they even distance. justify that why was he there because kingdom hearts they just always put people in there because they're gonna I'm trying then to remember I, that's the true they have like sets or they're playing that's game like asking that's like asking why is uh why are characters from final fantasy 10 and final fantasy 8 in there why is titus there because <laughs> I feel like one justifies it where it's like, oh, they're all from like Radiant Garden, now Hollow Bastion, and then you know, there's like this narrative, like it makes sense, like okay, the fi- that's the Final Fantasy characters world. That's why like Squall is hanging out with like Aerith or whatever. But yeah, in Dream Drop Distance, I think it's like the Hercules Coliseum world, and it's like Neku and I think Zack from Final Fantasy Seven. Oh like, God, what a team! Core, I guess. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's i'm trying to remember like who else is there i think it is just like neku and zach and it's just like all right maybe it's just zach actually no zach's in birth by sleep now i'm thinking about it okay i don't i don't remember the context of the world ends with you character <laughs> <laughs> i am really really shocked right now what rabbit hole have we gone down my god zach's definitely in the hercules world in birth by sleep because i remember he like asks aqua out on a date and it's really weird <laughs> Doesn't he have a girlfriend? Isn't Eris his girlfriend? Yeah, basically. I mean, now, like, I yeah, now he's like... hitting on these underage girls. Jeez. Yeah. That yeah. too. Ew. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Sephiroth and Cloud live in Hercules' world as well, hanging out in that Coliseum. Yeah, they're just chilling. Why the hell not? <laughs> I live in Hercules' world now too, everyone. Hi. I, I think the Hercules world's been in every Kingdom Hearts game. I might be wrong on that. Someone's going to, like, yeah, cause it's on a, Twitter, you, like, it's... no, they're not in this one. <laughs> It's because it's a convenient coliseum area. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly why. They, and, and because Hades is, like is a, a major enemy and a great enemy to boot. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to the world ends with you. 
I would say that if you never played it on the DS and you don't have an iPad and you're eyeing it on the Nintendo Switch, um, I would still pick it up because it is a great, if nothing else, it is a really unique experience, the way that it lets you scale battles uh, basically dynamically, the the, the setting, uh, the way that it really does such a nice job of capturing Shibuya, uh, that really distinctive art which I would say it's good Nomura more than it is bad Nomura. Definitely. I am an optimistic person, and The World Ends With You is actually a pretty optimistic game, all told. Uh, I, I think the characters are all pretty good. I, I think the world is good. The story really had me hooked. Uh, the, the weak structure really works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, it's fun going to all of the different clothing shops and getting... Uh, the clothes for your characters <laughs> so that you can power them up <laughs> with uh, the different pins and finding the different pins for your uh, powers. It's a nice, very nice little 15 to 20 hour experience. Uh, and it, it it has a kind of a special place in my heart. So you should go check it out. Uh, do you guys have any further thoughts, Nadia? Uh, no, I I agree with you. It's a it's a great game, and especially what was really special was getting to play it when the first like in the time period it came out with came out in when it really seemed like JRPGs were just on the rocks. And here come this here came this really like very unique game that really reveled in its uniqueness. And I'll always appreciate it for that. Yeah, it's it's really I I, I feel like it's even now it's super unique among most JRPGs. Or most RPGs in general, like it's just like has this really yeah. unique structure, like story wise and format wise, and I don't know, like I, I love like a good, well executed, unique RPG because like I don't know, sometimes they do. I I don't want to call like RPG samey, but you know, it's like there's usually like a structure that's like stuck to, so it's like always cool to see an RPG kind of like do something against like the RPG rules. Like, doesn't yeah, you're gonna laws. break all the rules, man. Like, yeah. Neku doesn't conform to your society. All right, we're back. Katie is still on the line with me. And we're also adding in our reviews editor, Mike Williams, official Assassin's Creed fan, because, Mike, Assassin's Creed, it's an RPG now. We, we can officially call it that. It is It is full-on an RPG, and if you were sad and disappointed about Mass Effect Andromeda, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is pretty much the closest thing that you have to that type of game for the foreseeable future, right? You mean it has spaceships and stuff? Man, I didn't know that much. It doesn't have spaceships, but it does have ocean ships, which aren't like spaceships, but they do have a crew. It's not the same, though. I mean, I'm not flying through the sea of stars, talking to aliens and having sex with them. No, but you are flying through the sea of oceans, talking to people and having sex with them. It's true. You do have a lot of sex, from my understanding, in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. But you don't uh, see any of it. It's like a fade to black. It's like oh, very man. PG-13. It's like kind of a bummer. I'm like, damn, I want to like see some stupid action. Like, I want some like weird, uncomfortable shit. But 
No, it's just like they, they kiss and then it's like usually it's like oh they go into the house and then that's it. Okay, Katie's all about the weird and uncomfortable shit. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, Witcher Three has some like really weird sex scenes and it's hilarious and great. <laughs> Uh, I, I think that's why they avoided it, because every time you try to do that in games, it just looks odd. Yeah, Like, someone I mean, had to sit there and pose those models, <laughs> and it just doesn't work yeah. out quite right. Like, there's a great scene with Geralt and Yennefer on, like, a unicorn, and it's just, like, a very strange scene, <laughs> and I it's it's great. It's, like, I mean, it's it's definitely treated with, like seriousness but also like a sense of humor to it i feel like i feel like there's like a really good balance uh and i, I mean, think that's the, really hard because most times sex in games just does not it just doesn't really work that well yeah and, and most of them cut to black but like two or three of them are like long enough to like give a mood like the one with the old lady yeah yeah uh, to, Where it to, just, like, to set the context for the people here uh, the the start of the quest is there's this old, very horny lady who wants you to go find an aphrodisiac and stamina enhancer thing for her husband so they can continue to have sex. And when you finally do that, sh- sh- the husband is like, you know what? No. Mm-mm. Nope. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm not going to do this. And the option then is to take your payment and leave or. They're swingers, apparently, have sex with the wife. And that scene is, like, literally, like, you go into the house, and then it's the husband sitting outside, and then he, like, picks up a guitar or lute or something, and then people come and talk, and, like, the time of day is changing. It's it's a very it's really weird funny. scene. Hey, it's not ages, so Good on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah, no, she, she that lady is ready to go, like, as soon as she meets you. <laughs> Right on. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Uh, I think it's interesting that Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, there was a lot of talk right after the review embargo lifted that it focused a lot more on flings than lasting romances. And you seemed pretty down with that, Mike. Uh, I like it because it gives you freedom. Like, I, I, I not 100% the problem. The problem I had in games like Dragon Age or Mass Effect is like you had to pick one romance and that was it. Like that was the person that you were with. And then it got really weird, you know, as you move from Mass Effect uh, one to two to three, because the options would change per game. Whereas in. Well, you could totally ditch your previous girlfriend. Yeah, you could. Like but there's I, even I a bit in Mass Effect two where like. You would be having sex with somebody, and then you would very carefully put the picture of your previous love down. Right. See, I felt <laughs> I felt great. guilty. <laughs> yeah, but it lets you change it, and it's basically saying, "Oh, yeah. I mean, you can mess around all you want, but it's kind of realistic in that regard, right?" Yeah. Whereas uh, Odyssey is like, you know what? Do whatever you want. Like, no matter which character you are, you can have as much or as little sex as you want. With anybody. It doesn't matter. And that that feels really, like, freeing. Uh, and depending on how you play, uh, allows you to define your character a little bit more. If you want to be asexual, you can be asexual. If you want to be bisexual, you can be bisexual. It, it's, it allows you to do a lot more, I think, in terms of role-playing. Go and be free, right? <laughs> yeah, like, but- uh, what, what do you think, Katie? How far did you get? 
So I, I'm still like, I got to Athens maybe like five hours ago on my save. So I've just been like bumming around Athens and like sailing around the random islands and stuff. Uh, so I've only seen like, I think like three Rome or three, three yeah, things three so far. Um, so like, it's like not that, he- like there's not a lot. Like I was expecting kind of there to be more, honestly. And I kind of wish they were a little deeper, but there's still like the freedom aspect. Like I feel like, I keep, like, going back to Witcher 3 because I feel like that's, like, another big RPG type thing. But, like, The Witcher 3 has, like, you have, like, Yennefer or Triss, and those are, like, your two main love interests. But there's also, like, little flings along the way that you can pursue. Right. Kind of, like, that element where it's, like, you still have that freedom if you want. And there's, like, consequences if you try to romance both Yennefer and Triss because, obviously, it's, like, not a great thing to do. But... There's still, like, that freedom, like, you can still hook up with, like, I can't remember that one sorceress's name. And then the DLC, there's, like, a romance. And there's, like, more freedom, I feel like, in, like, the moment-to-moment. Whereas, or, like, even, like, in Persona, where you can technically romance, like, everyone, but then you have, like, a big consequence in the end. Uh, So I'm kind of bummed that there's not, like, this, like, deeper romance I've encountered yet in Odyssey. Like, I kind of wish there was, like, a Yennefer equivalent or something. You will run into it on an extra island, uh, and it's the choice between Kira. It's, I think you played it in the, uh, one of the preview events, Kira and Stentor, which is a, a dude and a lady, their resistance on the island, and you can choose between them. And those are a bit deeper. And, and like I said in the thing with the flings, like I like the freedom, but I think they should aim for all of the, romantic options to be either funny funny or like the old lady funny and weird or the deeper one like kira or stentor depending on which one you choose i chose kira mm, yeah i haven't encountered that yet but yeah so i, I feel like I'm, I'm like i'm into the idea but i kind of wish there was like a deeper element at least more common than like one romance as it seems basically but AC Odyssey doesn't really seem to want to be a quote-unquote deeper game in general. And I'm not just talking about romances. I'm talking from the standpoint of decision-making in general. I'm talking about mechanically. It's it's definitely an RPG in the sense that you have stats and you have builds for your characters and you're making decisions that impact the story and the world. But it really wants to have it both ways and be both an RPG and a kind of a light action game in the vein of Assassin's Creed. Uh, I don't... I mean, I feel like it's really trying... It's really leaning into the RPG stuff. I just don't think it's quite nailed it yet. Like, the choice thing is, like, a big change, and the romance <laughs> system's, like, a big change, but I feel like they're not quite good yet. Like, I feel like there's a lot of exposition, which is kind of a bummer, like, in t- terms of, like, choice-making. Like, if I'll have, like, a conversation... And there will be, like, a callback to a choice I made, like, on another island or something. And I kind of wish it was a little more naturally, I guess, introduced, like, the choice like the choice and consequence things. Uh, I know there's, like, there's supposed to, isn't there, like, seven different endings, Mike? Or am I getting that wrong? There's, like, a lot of different endings. You are correct. Yeah. You are correct. And most of those uh, actually stem from really early choices you made. So it's not like, uh, say, Mass Effect 3, where you get to the end and you choose between three different endings. It's, you did this way back in Chapter 2, 
Oh, and that I don't like feeds that. <laughs> and that feeds into which of the endings you get. Uh like the first major choice is um whatever you did with the wolf who is your yeah, yeah. father. And that that determined that is part of what determines which of the endings you'll get at the end. I guess that makes sense. Cuz I feel like that that's like the big thrust, right? It's like your family, had, yeah. Your, yeah, family. Like you're like basically reuniting your family who's like kind of scattered all across Greece. Uh and obviously hit some bumps in the road. Um but yeah, I don't I don't know. I also don't think the story's that good. I think that's like probably my main problem with Odyssey so far is I don't I feel like I'm way more engaged with the side quests than oh yeah. the main story itself, which is kind of a bummer cuz I feel like Origins was like both like I was really into the main story and I was also into the side quests and I feel like with this it's like just one half of the game I'm really engaging with. Yeah, I'd say the the like I am Bayek's a revenge tale felt a little bit more immediate. Mm. Whereas this is hey, get your family back together even though some of them are kind of neutral, some of them are kind of evil. Uh one of them was just gone for a while. Um you can tell they were trying because a lot of the side quests, if you look at them like an aggregate, are about other families. Mm. Um, oh, actually, a whole lot of the like major side quests are about family, and you can tell that they were trying to tr- tie both both of those sides together. Um, but I agree, like the family, the family reunion thing is kind of vanilla vanilla is probably my best and it kind of like leans really hard into like the kind of like assassin's creed nonsense you know like the spirit of oh the first civilization god i like uh, that's the thing i can't stay like i don't care about any of the modern day stuff or like the weird magical stuff like i just i just can't i just hate it like i just i just want like the cool historical world to like run around in and I, yeah, it's, it really leans into that from like the get go pretty much. And that's, that's as, as it's always been since the original, it's been like that since the original Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I know. Right. That's like the one thing that has like, that's been like the barrier for me. You know, it's like, I don't care about the animus. I don't mm. care about Templar <gasps> and Assassins. Like that's, like oh the, no, that's like the shit. No, I I'm totally, I'm about. totally with Katie. Oh, how dare you? I'm sorry. How, it's really? like like the moment. <laughs> the animus you... is the worst part. Yeah, it's so. Luckily, there's not. That I mean, much all of all I really was. want is a neat historical setting. I don't need anything to tie it all together. Yeah, same. I don't need friggin' aliens. <laughs> uh, I I mean, it's cool that you fight the Pope in Assassin's Creed too, <laughs> but all of the more modern day stuff has always been so boring. Yeah, and there's like only like I've only countered like two scenes of the like of Layla, I think her name is, who's like the new She doesn't get it. Yeah, she doesn't get a ton of scenes. Um so the two scenes that you've gotten, there's like one more. Oh, uh, there's only one more? I'm like 20 yeah. hours. <laughs> 20 To be hours. Yeah, because it's it's not really uh, about Layla, so the 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 there's only like three modern day scenes I can think of off the top of my head. Um but it does lean heavily on the mythology of that first civilization thing, yeah. which is one of those things that a lot of 
Assassin's Creed fans care about. Like, when I went to the Reddit, like, people were asking, like, so does this pick up the story of the first civilizations? Do we find out what happened to Juno? And it was like, <laughs> yeah, see, and like, and, and like the Assassin's Creed comic was, was purely at the end of it about the first civilization stuff, like this slow burning plot of that in the yeah, back. Yeah, there'll always be nerds who are into that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I totally Sorry, get that. nerds. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, Plus, the, the, the first civilization thing allows them to do the weirder things that they do in this game. Um, like, they, uh, Ubisoft has been pretty open about it, that you will fight against creatures of myth. They've shown the Medusa mm-hmm. pretty prominently. And the trick there to make it work is the first civilization stuff. So Yeah, but you don't need that. Yeah. You could have had a hardcore interesting historical civilization without all the monsters and demons and things like that's what annoyed me about origins too it's like you like run around in the desert and you hit a glitch and then suddenly you're fighting like anubis in the desert and it's like why is this happening oh that was a great fight though yeah that was an annoying boss fight too it's like a lot of dodging and just like running around and uh you mean like a fight (laughs) yeah it's like well it's like it's like a very long fight I don't know. It was just, like, not... It wasn't, like, an exciting... It was just, like, wow, it looks cool. And that's, like, the extent of the coolness of that fight, I guess. Getting back to what you were saying about uh, the the side quests not uh, being a lot more interesting than the main story, when you say that, I I think that's interesting because it sounds a little like it has a bit of a Fallout syndrome going on where uh, a game like Fallout will be able to tell a lot of really good, short, contained stories within the context of the side quest to the point where that's kind of all you want to do because the main story isn't actually all that interesting. Oh yeah. No, it's exactly like fallout four where you're like, uh, what happened to your family, your son? You don't really care. (laughs) I don't care. I want to go see what they're all doing on the end on the constitution. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exactly like fallout four where like it's the story. The main story is fine. Um, but you don't really care. What you really care about is exploring the world and doing the side quests. So The world is gorgeous, though, and it's so huge. It's so big. It's yeah, so it's, very it's like, big. And, yeah, it's really funny. Because like, everyone was saying, or there's that headline that was circulating, like, oh, it doesn't get good until 15 hours in. And I know they're talking about when you get to Athens, because it's like such like a Bethesda moment where you like emerge from the cave, and you're like, wow, it's like a big-ass world. And I feel like you don't hit that point until... <laughs> 15 hours in when you finally get to Athens and you like climb up this cliff and then all of a sudden it's like wow this is like a huge ass city and it's kind of like this like oh this game just keeps going and that's it's it's kind of like a funny moment because it happens so late in the game yeah uh, I thought it was good before then uh, yeah yeah no I, I enjoyed it I was enjoying it but I thought I was like I guess that's what they're talking about it's like when you reach Athens but it is definitely like, wow, this is like a huge city. It's like so much bigger than anything else you've like encountered before it. They do that in Witcher 3 as well. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. That's like... White Orchard itself is a solid five hours, right? Yeah, maybe even more. Oh, I mean, you can like definitely yeah, die no, more. It's, that, but. Yeah, it's, it's definitely more because you do White Orchard, then you do the, the battlegrounds area. Yeah. The swampy battleground area. And then you finally end up in the... In Velen, I think, is Velen, like the first yeah. major continent. Um yeah, it 
I mean, like, well, technically in Essence Garage, so, like, you don't, like, you start out on, God, what is it called? It's, like, it's some island or whatever, uh, and then you sail away and you finally have the title card, like. Oh, Kefalonia, like, yeah. Kefalonia, yeah. Uh, and then you, you're just kind of, like, sailing around and that's, like, your first, like, oh, wow, I'm in this big open world moment, um, like, beyond, like, the first starting area, which I feel like I've seen a lot of rpg like games doing now like kind of taking this like mold of white orchard like okay here's like a starting area where you're like learning what you're going to do for the rest of the game essentially and then you get thrown into the rest of it which i think is pretty smart because it's like here's a little mini open world and then here's the real open world oh that wonderful moment where where you think you've like gotten pretty far into the initial areas of the game and then the title card drops and you're like oh i haven't gotten very far at all in this game yeah yeah, and they drop the title card, and then you, like, like you're on Kefalonia, and Kefalonia is, like, five to seven hours. And then the first thing I did once the title card dropped was I opened the map and zoomed out, and I was like, oh. Yeah, it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a lot. I It's crazy, because I, I was thinking about, like, how much I played Origins, and I, I feel like I played, like, a lot of Origins, but Origins is nowhere near as huge as this game. It's like really and weird. origins was gigantic i mean yeah. a lot of people were comparing it to breath of the wild yeah it, it was like really big uh and this game is like i i, I honestly wonder like the size comparison because this i mean there's also like a bunch of water that you have to sail around so it's like that's definitely a big portion of it too yeah but, according to yeah. ubisoft if you take the water away um the landmass is actually smaller than the origins map overall mm. but it's all spread out and yeah. you have all the, the the ocean there and unlike origins where like sort of the ocean and lakes and rivers were just sort of like travel places this one like you know there's stuff out there there's pirates yeah, there's, there's like spiders and stuff yeah yeah so one of the major other talking points about Assassin's Creed Origins, or so Odyssey, has been microtransactions and the ability to use that to lessen the grind. Um, uh, certain other outlets were getting a little hysterical about it. You, uh, you guys were kind of going, eh, it's pretty overblown. So uh, can you explain why, in your opinion, the microtransaction issue isn't a big deal? Uh, so I, I, who was talking about this earlier? Uh, it was Steven Tutilio of, of Kotaku. Um, and if you have a problem with the microtransactions in a single player game, I get that. I can understand that. But in terms of the game actually being grindy, I found, and I've heard from a lot of other people that just actually playing the game, like engaging with the game as normal, say if you do the main quest, and the side quests, which, as we, we've just said, are sort of the meat of the game's story. I ended up finding out that I was overleveled for most of the game. So, like, I'm, I'm not, I, I just don't quite get the, the grindiness unless you go to every message board and pick up every quest, which you don't have to do because what, odyssey does is it throws so much experience at you from so many different sources that you can literally choose to ignore whole 
mechanics in the game. Like I stopped doing conquest battles because I just didn't really like the mechanic, even though it gives a lot of really good experience and gear. So I, I just like, unless you absolutely don't want to do anything else other than the main Odyssey quest, which to me feels like leaving a whole bunch of the game on the table. Uh, even if you're just there for story, you're leaving a whole bunch of the story on the table by not doing the side quests. Then, yeah, sure, you might have trouble. But otherwise, I I, I feel it gives you so much XP that you're usually over-level for most of the game. I, I don't know how it is for Katie. Yeah, I I don't understand the whole... Like, oh, you have to grind. Because it's like, when I think of, like, a grind, I think of, like, what I'm doing in Destiny, which is, like, replaying old heroic missions and doing the same things over and over and over again for, like, the chance of, like, an exotic drop or something. And, like, I don't... Like, I'm not doing that in Odyssey. Like, I'm just kind of, like, taking things from message boards for things. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I'll definitely be able to, like, hunt down these random soldiers or something. And, like, doing side quests as I come across them. And just, like, I feel like every there's so much being thrown at me constantly that I'm, like, always at least two levels over, like, the main mission. So I'm kind of, like, yeah, I'm, like, kind of always overpowered. But everything scales with you, so you're never, like, too overpowered. Which I kind of, like, wish there was a little more flexibility. Because sometimes I'm, like, I just want to go back and, like, approach this quest I was having trouble with with, like, super ease, and that's not really... doesn't seem Yeah, I, I, I did I did say that the level scaling probably needed... Like, it it currently scales uh, two levels. So, like, the lowest content is always two levels below you. So, uh, you're never too far away. I, I think that should be increased to, like, three or four levels. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Like, that um, boar? Did you have trouble with that boar that you have to face? Like The first time, first two times, yes. A Dude, lot of people are apparently having trouble with the boar. I've tried uh, so many times. I'm, like, two levels above it, and it still kicks my ass. I'm like, I cannot time these dodges right, apparently, because it's still, it's like, and then every time it summons, like, the little baby boars to come at you, I'm like, I hate, I hate this. I got it almost dead once, and then I died, and I, I've just never been able to get back to that point, and it's, I think I'm just yeah, going to not going to try it. <laughs> for context, there are a series of quests having you fight against, uh, I think it's a total of eight legendary beasts, including, you know, things from lore, like the Nemean Lion and stuff like that. But the first one the quest sends you out to fight is this boar. And the trick with the boar is like when I was doing the fight the first time, I actually didn't have a problem with the boar by itself. Mm. Um, but you hit a certain point and then it roars. It like runs away and roars yeah. and summons like four or five other boars. Yeah. This is where I get the problem too, where it's like, there's so much to deal with at once. And it happens multiple times too, which is frustrating. Cause it's like, why can't this happen like twice and then not again? But then it just like keeps happening. <laughs> yeah. So so basically what I ended up having to do was spec warrior. And then when I'd see it roar, I was prepared. So I like had worked out <laughs> the timing. So I would dodge them and then I would kill them first yeah. and then go back to the boar. 
Yeah, I just can't, like, I, that's what, that's kind of like my thing is like, I'll shoot like a few arrows while the boar is like ro roaring and I'm like, okay, now I have time to dodge while the other ones run at me. And then it just like never works out. Like I always get hit by one. It's always just one. And then that's kind of like, ah, oh, great. Now I have to like stumble around and hopefully just slaughter all these baby boars so I can kill the dad. Wait, boars. did you take the heal? The what? Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah, I, I finally unlocked this, the healing ability. And I feel like now I can, because I was like up, I didn't even notice it was like an ability because I was just like upgrading other abilities. I was like, oh, I want like really good poison blades or whatever. Uh, so I'm like, maybe I can probably face it now because I have this healing ability, but I also don't want to just run all the way back there because it's so far away. Getting back to the leveling thing, I, I think it's a little bit similar to Witcher 3 where uh, at a certain point, you can't just keep critical pathing the main quest the right. game will more or less say okay time to go do some side quests it wants you to do side quests and i i think that the i'm of two minds of this because on the one hand i don't like getting railroaded into anything mm. and so i always secretly resent it when a game just kind of locks out a portion further in the game so i will see other side quest content because i'm the kind of person who is of the mind to get through the main quest pretty fast and then go do the side content if i'm still interested in it mm. but the side content in witcher 3 is so essential to the enjoyment of the game and the progression of the story that i can kind of understand why they did that and AC Odyssey, it sounds like, does much the same thing. It just also includes the ability to be like, oh, if you don't want to do the side quests and you just want to shotgun the main story, well, you can buy some microtransactions and speed up your leveling so you can just get through it really fast. And I can kind of understand why people think that that's a little cynical on Ubisoft's part because, um, well... I think that it does break the balance of the game a little bit anytime you start sticking in uh, accelerators because it's really hard to resist the temptation to gear the progression around uh, not uh, to gear the progression around using them. I, I agree. It's and this is why I said like like in, in the article I wrote about it. Like I agree, it's cynical. Um, but the the point I always come back to is I I didn't feel any different in leveling in Odyssey than I did in what I've played of, say, Octopath, where you can't go to the next chapter of a story unless you're to a certain level, or, uh, say, like, Dragon Quest Eight or a Final Fantasy. Like, like I, I, those games also have moments where, like, oh, hey, this boss is, like, level 15 if you're level 10 you're probably not going to survive this fight and that's sort of part and parcel of an rpg and i discussed in another article that i think part of the problem that people are having is that they're treating it like an assassin's creed game which it is um but like one of the old Assassin's Creed games where you could literally just do the main story and burn through it, you know, 15 hours or whatever. Um, but since Origins and Odyssey, they're now actually RPGs. So 
I think they should be treated like RPGs. In the sense that the way the progression works, the the unlocking abilities, the way side quests are handled is just naturally much more role-playing-esque. Right. And if you try to bring the your expectations of pre-syndicate, uh, pre-origins Assassin's Creed to this game, it's not going to work because they're not the same game anymore. Nope. And you're a little bit sad about that. Uh, I am. I am. I really like Origins and Odyssey, and I, I think Ubisoft probably made the right decision because what I see from a lot of people is they didn't really care about Assassin's Creed until the last two. Um, uh, that's definitely the case for me. <laughs> right. See, there, 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 there's two right there. But I also think there are a lot of people that enjoyed what it was before, and now there's nothing out there for them. And I enjoyed what was there before. So I enjoy Odyssey and Origins, and I hope that this continues to be the future of the franchise. But I also think there's something to be done for the people who don't want that. Who just want the linear stealth action game in the open world. I'm sure they'll do that at some point. Yeah, uh, and and, and my, my point at the end of that article was... Uh, back in the day, they used to do two Assassin's Creed games. So, like, uh, Assassin's Creed 3 was joined by Assassin's Creed Liberation, and uh, AC Unity was joined in the same year by AC Rogue, and the other, Liberation and Rogue, were cheaper games, reusing a lot of assets, reusing a lot of mechanics, telling different stories, and, and kind of tweaking it to be unique but definitely much cheaper than the mainline entries. And I think Ubisoft could use the assets of, say, Odyssey and tell a much cheaper story and provide a game that is shorter, quicker, and more like what classic Assassin's Creed fans want. Well, this is what I'm waiting for. Are you ready? Go for it. Assassin's Creed... Vice City. It's all the fun of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but set in a drug-fueled Miami of the 1980s. Let's do it. Wow. I'd be, I'd be surprised if that happens. I think the farthest, farthest forward they'll probably go... Oh, man. World War II. World War II is, is yeah. it. Because Syndicate had World War II in it? Yes. Um... And I think that is the farthest I'll go. Basically, I think they're trying to avoid vehicles because once they add vehicles, mm. they're stepping on watchdogs' toes. And mm. and, and far- I feel like all games will like going forward will like be expected to have something that is on a horse. Yeah. So 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 I I think what Assassin's Creed is trying to do is stay away from say watchdogs and Far Cry. So I don't think they'll ever get far enough that vehicles will be a major part of the game, like like cars and stuff. Uh, Syndicate had uh, carriages and whatnot, and like I said, the, there was a World War II section of Syndicate. But I think like modern day, they're staying away from because that to them, I feel is just essentially watchdogs. I I understand, and actually. I, I was I was only kidding, but 
I I could see like the 1950s being somewhat fertile ground if you wanted to make it a Cold War spy drama, oh, where yeah. the work. assassins working for say the CIA, and if you make a particular area uh, into a, a large map where you're going around and taking on quests for you know, the CIA or the Russians or something, and you're assassinating targets and uh, making use of different vehicles and everything, that that could be a really kind of fun twist on the traditional Assassin's Creed formula. But yeah, you're right. Uh, I think that they're going to try and avoid vehicles wherever humanly possible because, uh, and, and not only that, but it's the historical settings that really set Assassin's Creed apart. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I, I think probably. So the rumor was supposed to be Egypt, Greece, and then Rome as sort of a trilogy. Um, but the original rumor had Bayek. We didn't know he, he was Bayek at the time in all three of them. Um, and obviously things have changed, so I don't know if the next one will be Rome, but probably. But I think after that will probably be China, because I feel like Romance of the Three Kingdoms is going to be tackled by Assassin's Creed at some point. And next gen feels right. I hope they take a break next year because they are. They've, they've already <laughs> oh, yeah, said they're yeah, not doing next year. Yeah. yeah. They, so it's they probably have... like Quebec and gosh, what's the ones that did Origins? Montreal. Montreal. So they're probably like switching off, I'm guessing. And then I guess Yeah. Yes. It's a bummer that they already did the American Revolution and the French Revolution. And such, because those are all really interesting uh, categories for me. And I would like them to do that with AC Odyssey. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be very nice. (laughs) But of course, the one setting that really had me the most excited, the Revolutionary War, was of course the worst one in the friggin' series. (laughs) (laughs) The only Assassin's Creed I've ever bought at launch, and then it just... It let me down in the worst way, but I still think Origins had like the best setting. So it was like an unexpected period of Egypt's history. Hmm. Like I feel like when you think of ancient Egypt, you think of like the New Kingdom area or era with like Ramses and stuff. And I think it's where they were building. Yeah, when they were building the pyramids, and when it was like I was like I was expecting if Assassin's Creed ever went to Egypt, it would be that era because it's like so ripe. It just feels like an Assassin's Creed era. So it's like interesting that they went in with like r- like when Romans were like colonizing Egypt, and I thought that made it like a really interesting era. In addition to just being like an interesting like place to explore in Assassin's Creed, and yeah, I feel like that's I- like the key to a lot of these like time periods. Like you want to be in like a cool era, or not not cool. Cool is probably the wrong word, but you know, like interesting era, and not just like oh, this environment would be cool to explore. Yeah, you kind of want to avoid just the, uh, the, there's that sort of toss up between finding a period where there's a lot of historical figures, uh, a lot of historical porn, so to speak, and it's something that's sort of unexpected. Uh, and I, I think the unexpected part is the reason, and Matt did a whole article on it, uh, why Ubisoft has been, vet, uh, steadfastly avoiding japan uh for all this time despite it being one of the most asked for periods for assassin's creed to go to because japan is not unexpected 
at least not the Japan that most people want. Um, and there's so, so many games set in like feudal Japan with like, like there's just like even now it's like there's Neo, there's Sekiro, there's whatever the sucker punch. Ghost one of Tsushima. That one. I always forget the name of that one. I'm just like the other one. Uh, <laughs> it's like there's. I feel like there's so much even now. It's like if Assassin's Creed did a Japan game, I don't think like I feel like core fans would be super stoked because obviously they really want it, but I don't think it would like have the hit like i don't know it just doesn't feel like that unique and i feel like that's what really does set assassin's creed apart is it like engages with history on like a really unique level so for sometimes for the good sometimes for the bad but you know it, it does its own little thing and it i don't know i think that's cool in the triple a space space especially plus i think china because china i i think looking at egypt and greece I think they could knock it out of the park. I yeah, think be and there's a, so many like eras that would be really interesting. Like, there's a lot of potential there, and I, I I'm excited to see if it does end up happening. I'm excited to see where they end up. All right, Assassin's Creed Odyssey is now available on most consoles, and you can go. You should go check out all of our coverage. Mike wrote uh, a thing about the microtransactions. He wrote about not wanting traditional Assassin's Creed fans to be left behind. We, we got quite a bit. Uh, Katie wrote her thoughts on the first 20 hours or so and on the story. So uh, there's a lot to talk about with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. In the meantime, this is a bit outside the purview of the RPG podcast, but Mike, you're going to be pretty busy with Black Ops 4 and Red Dead Redemption 2 coverage over the next few weeks. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Uh, Black Ops 4 comes out at the end of today. I've already played part of it, uh, but we're going to be diving pretty hard into that over the next week or two. And then at some point, very soon, Red Dead Redemption 2 should be hitting us so that we can play it. And I'm looking forward to that, despite uh, not actually beating the first Red Dead yet. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks, everybody. And we're going to continue on to the mailbag. Okay, we're going to continue on to the mailbag. Nadia's back with us. And uh, the first mail, uh, last week we talked about Fallout uh, 76 and Fallout New Vegas. Since then, Nadia has posted a whole mess of content on the site. She talked about the VAT system. She talked uh, about the being griefed. Uh, you just posted an article about griefing <laughs> in Fallout 76, I think. Yeah, someone was being mean to me. They were shooting me when I was uh, trying to, like, enjoy myself. But, uh, yeah, I I dealt with that by running away. Sounds like a world that I can really start to enjoy. (laughs) Are you going to be following me around, taking pot shots on my head now, Kat? No, I'm going to be... I'll be, like, meticulously building up my camp, and then I'm going to get shot in the face by some jerk. (laughs) Well, like I said in in my thing, it's like there's 20 to 25 people on a server... In a very, very big game. Uh, so I think your chances of meeting someone are generally low. What happened to us is since we were all in the Greenbrier Hotel, which is where this event was taking place, we all wanted to see the Greenbrier in-game. So we all just kind of convalesced around there. And that's when a firefight broke out, and <laughs> the rest is history. Well, this is the 
This first question is for you, uh, Nadia, or first comment. Muchan says, sorry for being so late, but wanted to see how Savando is for myself uh, from Dragon Quest Eleven. And while I only just got him in my party, I'm enjoying him. But I always enjoy just happy, campy characters. My only issue is how the NPC and characters would react to that. Since most anime JRPG tend to make campy just weird and out of place, just yell at them for acting weird. Or worse, with Persona 4 with their use of quote-unquote lighthearted humor with Kanji and Yosuke. Sorry, I know you love Persona 4, but I couldn't keep going after they kept doing the joke over and over again. I'm not actually sure what the Kanji and Yosuke joke is, but okay. Uh, So having a colorful campy guy where everyone seems to just accept and enjoy his camp makes me okay with him. Uh, If I recall correctly with uh, Kanji and Yosuke, uh, yeah, because I actually have another gay friend who really didn't like what was going on there. It was basically uh, Kanji, of course, had the whole gay panic thing going on. And Yosuke was just like, every time Kanji came near him, he's like, oh, man, don't give me the gay. Not in so many words, but that's pretty much what happened. And with uh, Silvando, there's really nothing like that. Uh, there's one character who doesn't like him, but it's nothing to do with how he acts. It has to do with, like, they have a past together. And um, character... B thinks that he is uh, forsaking his, uh, Silvando's forsaking his heritage, so that's a whole other thing. But yeah, uh, uh, Silvando's very, very campy, but not so much in an offensive way. Uh, Katie, you're playing Dragon Quest, aren't you? Do you have any commentary yeah. on that? I just got to Silvando, so like introduction, uh, and I love him. Like He's just like this very flamboyant character, and it's just... I don't know. I, I feel like it's like a lot of fun. It's like kind of like a liveliness that is like was almost missing from the cast. Uh, yeah, he's very fun. That's a good word for him. Yeah, and like I, I feel like his abilities seem to be super overpowered, which I like because it kind of matches his personality. You know, he's just like this like ridiculous guy. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I I, I feel like I'm like Sylvana is probably my favorite party member. So like I guess he's also awesome. a really really good. Uh, buffer and debuffer and he has like yeah. a he has a healing spell for the crew so uh, he's good he's worth keeping in your party for a long time yeah he's like the probably the first like ideal party member i'd say uh but yeah i i've i really i i, I definitely like feel that with persona 4 like i i'm also like i i like persona 4 but a lot of that stuff like really annoyed me more than i was able to like look over it you know Whereas I feel yeah, like sometimes yeah. like, I'm able to like kind of like eh, it's like you know it's different culture like I I guess I, I it's a bummer but you know it's different but like with four it's like a little bit overboard I'd say uh, in my opinion uh, and like five has a little bit of it too but it also has like good depictions of it like with the drag queen uh, bartender you oh Lala so it's like yeah yeah, yeah she was, Lala like, was great yeah it's like such a great character I'm like why do you have like this and then you also have this other like the like other gay panic thing it's like why i don't know it's just a bummer but yeah Silvando, i feel like it's definitely coded as gay but it's i don't know it's just, like he doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like unreal like unrealistic or something he's just like this very definitely like, not right? malicious yeah yeah it's like it's definitely like oh like this is a good character like it's cool so Nice Guy Neon says of Follow 76, they had really enjoyed Morrowind and Oblivion, but had gotten bored by Fallout 3 and were kind of wondering why. And they said, the moment I installed New Vegas, I was hooked. Guys shot you in the head. You aren't dead. Find them. Easy, exciting, interesting hook. 
but then Obsidian used the open world to often smartly tie back side quests to your greater character arc. You had to make decisions that mattered rather than, weirdly enough, will you nuke this town or not? And really, like, nukes are serious business, but follow three managed to make it the most boring choice imaginable. Like, what <laughs> did you really lose out on? A barren town and then you keep exploring the wasteland like nothing happened? Great. The quest design really elevated New Vegas because the actual game systems were similar, but the quests made you want to keep exploring the quirky world and eventually see how everything could tie in together. Later, I bought Skyrim, hoping Bethesda pulled some magic, but I got 10 hours into Skyrim and never played it again, and I outright skipped Fallout 4 after reading reviews. I don't know what to expect from Fallout 76 or Elder Scrolls 6, but my gut tells me not much. At least Obsidian are successful enough to go on and make their own RPGs now. Eh, I like Fallout 4, but I can totally see why somebody would care about Fallout New Vegas more, because the choices are more meaningful. Here's... Yeah. Yeah, something that bothered me about Fallout 3 was Fallout 3, the one with, was it Lucas Sims, the town, the sheriff of that, that nuke town? Yes. Um, okay, either way, uh, I accidentally shot him in the face, and <laughs> he just kind of, his body was just on like the doorstep of some, of someone's house, or it was the bar in that town or something like that. And I'm like, can someone please remove this gentleman? Like, his son <laughs> is right there. Can we do something about this? And... I took his hat, but <laughs> that was it for me and Megaton. In Fallout, uh, Fallout 4, there's a, a town called Covenant, and it can end right, with you yeah. killing all of the inhabitants, which I ultimately did because they were bad and they should feel bad. Uh, and then after you kill <laughs> them, you once you clear it out, you can turn it into a settlement, which I did because I, I was very excited uh-huh. about this because I was like, oh, man, now it's a settlement. Now I can kind of decorate these rooms to the way that I like and everything. Except that their bodies are all still lying around. So you'll be <laughs> walking through the settlement and there are their bodies just kind of laying there on their doorstep and you're like, ugh. Well, anyway, I'm going to go to bed now. Bye. <laughs> One thing I noticed in Fallout 76 is that, um, I don't know about people, but, well, there are no people there, but enemies turn into piles of goo mm-hmm. and they slowly fade away. So at least they at least they go away after a time. They don't sit there like broken rag dolls. Max Bebo lists some of the things that they enjoyed about Fallout New Vegas. One, low intelligence actually changing dialogue options. Are you a maker of war or peace? Pizza. <laughs> that was great. Two, yes man is simply the best. This is gonna be great. I'm gonna help you accomplish so much, whether I want to or not. Three. <laughs> Best companion, Veronica, voiced by Felicia Day, being as quirky and charming as ever. I've always liked Felicia Day. She's great. I, I, I met Felicia Day. I got to interview her once, and she is just as oh, cool. sweet and nerdy in real life as you would totally expect. So she must have been really happy to be a, a character in Fallout New Vegas. She was also in Dragon Age. In fact, that's why they were doing the, the, the interview rounds, because they had her oh. uh, playing a character in a side quest in, or in a DLC for Dragon Age 2, if I recall correctly. Oh, that's cool. Uh, four, Ulysses is definitely that Chris Avalone character. You know, that character he writes in every game that is super mysterious and drives the plot from behind the scenes, who has complex philosophical beliefs, having been a member of multiple factions, and is usually trying to break a cycle, becoming disillusioned with all of those factions. And even though I've recognized the pattern, I want more of it. (laughs) That's not a terrible trope to run with. I mean, you could do much worse, to be honest. You really could. And, uh, yeah, as usual, if you want to leave a comment, send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net 
or leave a comment on the site, on the show notes. We have show notes every week. Uh, people have been sending me all kinds of nice mails and tweets and that kind of thing. And it's Aww. always really good to hear you. And if you're enjoying the show, which some of you have been saying you have enjoyed the show, and thank you very much, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you are listening to your podcast so that we can get more visibility. And, you know, we always like hearing from you. But Axel Bloodgod is US Gamer Podcast. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, all of the social media stuff that I already listed. Uh, lots of great stuff over on the site, as usual. Uh, Matt talked about why Fallout 76 fans are feeling kind of aggrieved about uh, Brotherhood of Steel. Um, as we mentioned, there's already Call of Duty Black Ops 4 coverage. I wrote a big article about where Matt and 19 went wrong. Nadia uh, did a thing about the Scorch Beast, which we talked about the answer to Fallout, yes. uh, uh, the answer to Skyrim's dragon, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, they, they are kind of terrifying, to be honest. And I love that. <laughs> Katie wrote about The World Ends With You. And uh, what, what else have you written lately, Katie? I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind it's of a blur, isn't question. it? I've, writ I've written like three. So I've I've been writing things for next week, but then I wrote, God, what else did I write? Oh, I wrote about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which we talked about in the last section. Uh, and I definitely wrote something on Monday that I can't remember what it was. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> you wrote a love letter to Forza Horizon 4's worst cars and the silly designs. That's what I did. I did that Friday. Yeah. So I wrote about Forza Horizon 4's stupid cars because I like to make slow cars really ugly and that's kind of like <laughs> my hobby with that game yeah that was the that was the article that convinced me that your history's greatest monster actually do you say you make a slow car i'm sorry did i hear that yeah slow car like you, why would you, you make like, they're just like you can buy these really cheap ugly slow cars and then i just go on like the custom design marketplace and i'd pick the ugliest design and then I'd oh my god imagine passing that on the highway <laughs> like i want like, I've, I've run to some people, obviously, in the online multiplayer, but it's like, I wonder if people are, like, judging me for driving Do they honk you? Car. <laughs> Move <laughs> it, Grandma. Car, so, like, yeah, exactly. I want to be, like, the Grandma in Forza. I see, I mean, I I see Katie like, sometimes, anyway, but so. she's never driving uh, one of the slow cars. I, well, I, think, it's your, I think it's my ghost, because I see your name in there a lot, but I know it's, like, because that's, like, the thing that Forza does. Like, it takes the names from your, like, friends list. Oh and then yes. puts them in the game on like just ghost cars, like just like random driving Oldsmobiles. Like, yeah, it's just like well, it's just like random like basically NPCs, but it's like they have your friends because I'm like I I know this person doesn't have Forza, but then it, I see like their name on a car driving around. It's really that was weird when I was reviewing it because I was like these people definitely don't have Forza, and yet yeah, exactly, <laughs> and yet here they mom, are. you have the game. All right, we'll be back as usual next week. And until for Katie, Nadia, and myself, thanks for listening. And until then, happy adventuring. <laughs> <laughs>